Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. So welcome back. It's February now, um, and we're going to continue on with our pretty good house ideas and following along with some of those methods and guideposts this year. Um, I said we were going to talk about team this month, but we actually have some fun and exciting things with the Pretty Good House webinar for team. So we're going to bump team to March and we're going to talk about climate here in February, which maybe that's an appropriate topic to talk about in February anyway. When I say climate and a reference Pretty Good House, I don't just mean climate action, although that is important. Um, We're going to build New York City every 34 days. We're going to double our building stock by 2050. Um, And we need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 45% in the next 10 years and 100% by 2050 if we're not going to create irreversible damage to our environment. So there's my high horse on climate change and climate action. You hear me talking about it all the time. Um, You know, the prediction is by 2050, climate zones climate zones will have shifted by 500 miles. So uh, here in our cold climate of Maine, that means that it's projected to be like Virginia weather in Maine. And that's so hard to think of right now because it snowed all day yesterday. We have snow here on the coast and it's miserable and ugly worst month of Maine in February. But it also makes us kind of think about, well, all this snow and all this water and the warming in our oceans. I mentioned that uh, the Gulf of Maine did a whole research assignment on how the warming in our ocean is going to be affecting um, just the life that we have in our oceans, what grows there, what uh, populations survive. So climate is definitely an important topic to go over. Um, But also in talking about that, it goes back to how we build in different climate zones. So right now we're in climate zone six, and that's still considered cold. Although in 10 years, climate zone six will be more like climate zone four. um, And so we'll be seeing different. But for right now, we're designing for cold, cold temperatures, primary heating climate, 7,500 to 9,000 heating degree days, and um, what that means for where your vapor barrier is, how much insulation you need in the walls, how we treat our structures. So today I want to talk more about Climate Zone 6, and I'm hoping to have some guests on the podcast this month to talk about climate zones that I'm a little bit less familiar with. Um, The IECC has eight different climate zones. DOE has uh, climate zones hot and humid, mixed and humid, hot and dry, mixed and dry, cold, very cold, and marine. And we have to think about how you treat a structure when it's hot and dry is completely different than how you might treat a structure when it's hot and humid. And in hot and dry and hot and humid climates, you're designing for cooling. In our climate zone, climate zone six, we are designing for 
heating. And that vapor drive in a heating climate in February is going to be the worst where from inside to outside you push moisture vapor into the walls. And um, I actually have a really great client right now who is monitoring everything, which is very exciting. So building high performance home, getting to see, you know, VOC levels, what the indoor humidity is, carbon uh, dioxide levels. And um, I wonder, as we really improve the code requirements, um, who's checking in with people to see what they have? So um, I wanted to know, you know, this is a brand new house uh, completed in the wintertime. So our building materials are going to be wet. And I wanted to make sure we weren't seeing uh, relative humidity of 60 to 80% inside the house um, in a cold month of February. 60 to 80% humidity could be driving a significant amount of moisture into our wall system. And is that going to dry to the outside. Now we have our wall system, double stud wall set up to dry to the exterior. We're obviously not seeing relative humidity of 60 to 80%, which is fabulous. Um, but people don't talk to clients, or at least from my experience, about the fact that the house has to dry out for a year or two. What that means, um, we often see people being really uncomfortable in the wintertime and wanting to run a humidifier, especially during flu season, and how running really high humidity on the inside of your house when the delta T between inside and outside is really high, how that can have a major impact. So if you can't tell, I've also been teaching building science classes recently, um, doing a bunch of training with that and saying, hey, where does the moisture vapor go? Where does water vapor go? How do we stop water vapor? Do Is the vapor barrier on the inside? Do we have a vapor barrier when we have a really thick wall? Um, go on buildingscience.com or uh, on to, uh, sorry, Building Science Corporation's website, or onto Green Building Advisor and Vapor Barrier on both sides of the wall system. Vapor Barrier on the exterior when you're in a hot and humid climate. Vapor Barrier on the inside. And what does Vapor Barrier mean and how is your wall system going to dry? Does it dry to the inside? Does it dry to the outside? Are you trapping that in the center of your wall system? So again, your climate zone has a major impact on how you treat a structure. So um, in conjunction with that, Maine is now adopting the 2015 IECC and different literature with that and trying to um, make some notes and comparisons to help people understand the building code. And one of the things that popped up and I've been, uh, you know, several colleagues are following along with what's going on. They're participating in that. And one of the things that popped up was uh, a requirement for continuous exterior insulation. And a continuous exterior insulation would mean that our double stud wall wouldn't meet code. Um, and so it's fascinating to me that a simple word choice can make a huge impact on what people are doing and continuous exterior insulation of a half an inch of rigid insulation would put the vapor barrier on the wrong side of your wall system and with an insulation that you know isn't cellulose that doesn't have the ability to hold water vapor in it are we going to be condensing on those OSB surfaces and rotting out the sheathing you know plywood is able to hold more moisture cellulose is able to hold moisture in the wall you know paint is is working to slow vapor drive 
move into a wall system. But here in cold climate zone six, we have, you know, potentially 70 degrees inside and up to negative 15 degrees outside, which is a really strong pressure drive, driving moisture and water vapor into your wall systems. Where um, a couple months ago, I went to Florida and uh, we were checking out the um, Babcock Ranch uh, property and um, what they've been doing there, which is really exciting. Um, they have this huge solar array, which runs, they've basically created a whole town. They've got pocket neighborhoods of housing. They've got a hospital. They've got a school. They've got a restaurant. They've got a grocery store, a place to ride bikes. You can fish in their little lakes that they've created. Um, you can do a lot of things there. And that does go back to, you know, at what point does it make sense to add more PV and to stop trying to improve the efficiency of the structure? Um, lots of things to say about that because everything in Florida is built with concrete, which is 9% of carbon emissions. So um, not sure how to think about that. And so hopefully we'll get somebody from Florida who's super interested in building science to talk us through some of those things. But in that climate, hot and humid, they're definitely uh, working on cooling. How do you keep moisture from the inside of the structures? Um, when I was working for an energy engineering company, I was out in Austin, Texas. And, you know, some of those buildings just smelled moldy on the inside because they were, you know, wet on the inside. They have moisture vapor drive from the outside, then they're cooling it. Um, to 70 degrees on the inside, having condensation issues, mold on the inside of the structure. So um, completely backwards and the opposite way to think about how you would address a house in the pretty good home fashion in a totally different climate zone. But I digress. We were talking about uh, continuous insulation and the current understanding of continuous insulation is putting a layer of blueboard on the outside. That does nothing for us as far as carbon offsetting because foams are really terrible. Um, it also does nothing to talk about the vapor barrier being on the exterior side of the wall and how you might have issues. So as the code gets better, I think training is going to be equally as important. And um, Mike Maines, who you've heard on the podcast a lot, also brought up that maybe we should be looking at the building's whole U-factor instead of just continuous insulation requirements because when you take a look at an existing building or a new built building without exterior insulation, so you have two by six wall surface, 25% um, of that is framing, working at, you know, R5 per inch for 25% of your wall system, and maybe it is R21 um, for the other 75%. But when you look at the overall U value of that wall section, framing plus uh, insulation, you're you're not meeting R21. You know, maybe you have an R10 wall uh, at overall U factor. So, Absolutely. Is it better than the 1800s buildings with no insulation? For sure they are. Um, more concerned with the continuous insulation on the wrong side, um, not having a vapor open structure, and increasing the um, performance values of these houses, really air sealing them, and then potentially having a rotted 
building envelope and not considering where the moisture goes in in that wall system. So um, I know we were talking about climate zones, but when you do talk about climate zones, you have to talk about moisture migration. Um, We're also jumping in air changes. So uh, currently the 2009 IECC is seven air changes per hour. Uh, Even in Maine, that isn't adopted in all the towns. And there was a clause in that for visual inspection. So not everybody is doing blower door testing. Um, which if you talk to anybody in the building science world, visual inspection is just silly. Sure, I can walk around your open framing and, and notice where, you know, you have a quarter size hole where the roofer put their staging attached to your exterior sheathing. Um, but that's not good enough for uh, finding out whether or not you have seven air changes per hour. Um Five air changes per hour is the IECC 2015. Three air changes per hour is IECC 18. Different zones in zone six, um, different parts of zone six have adopted different building codes. Um, They... There are some really simple ways to get to those air changes per hour. We usually go for pretty good house standard of between one and two air changes per hour, but there are lots of passive house individuals who are meeting, you know, 0.5 or less. So um, certainly there are ways, but as we change our air sealing methods, um, we're changing vapor drive, where that vapor goes, how our wall systems dry out. And in a primary heating climate like zone six, we have to think about pushing interior moisture into exterior wall surfaces, where in other climate zones, you would have the opposite. So um, in comparison, I have a client who is really interested in building a net zero home, putting solar on, um, but they also want to value engineer it um, in the pretty good house method, which is how do we improve the efficiency of the structure until it's no longer financially feasible. So um, they need to cut some money out of the budget and they wanted to evaluate the difference uh, in savings between building a code built house and building a um, double stud wall, triple pane, one air change per hour. Uh, building the way we have it uh, modeled with solar panels on the roof. And um, it was a really interesting comparison for myself um, because I can build up my wall systems. Um, But it was also a really interesting comparison for the homeowner to see um, with a standard two by six wall built to code, um, double uh, double pane, double hung windows, um, five air changes per hour to meet the 2015 IECC, um, Roxel in the wall, which is pretty common here. Um, the difference between it was actually about $3,000 a year in savings to build it better with solar panels. And um, $3,000 a year is still going to take you 22 years to pay off the longer or better insulation, better living. Now, you'll probably be more comfortable in that. That's an average based on, you know, some standard refrigerators, dishwashers, and the way that you live in your house. That energy model as we move forward will get refined based on what this homeowner actually plans to do with um, all of the parts and pieces that they have in the house. Uh, We obviously go all LEDs. There's no reason not to anymore. Um, But 
we also then compared solar versus uh, no solar. And with the solar install, um, it was about a savings of sixteen seventy per year, um, which made the solar installation only a 13-year payback. And that one just seems like a no-brainer. So a code-built house with a solar array on the roof was going to save them $1,600 a year and have a 13-year payback. So um, at some point, there is a... Um, an interesting idea of when do you stop improving the structure and when do you start um, adding more PV panels? And they have a larger roof, so they could even add more PV panels than that. They have a hybrid electric car, so they might consider adding more um, more PV panels. And those panels aren't, uh, you know, being produced by coal-fired power plants. And yes, there is uh, some cost to having a solar panel and the way that it's built and manufactured and transported to get to the site. There is some carbon. Um, I think that I read somewhere, and don't quote me on this, um, I will try to look it up and see if I can't find um, something to attach in the show notes, but that it takes um, maybe 10 or 12 years for a solar panel to pay off its carbon debt from uh, how it's manufactured, how it gets to the site, how it gets there. And they can work for 25 to 40 years. You know, they degrade a little bit every year. Um, but even at that, they have many, many years of producing carbon-free power to a source. So I think that that's a still in our carbon negative world and there will be a point at which not improving the structure anymore I mean is a code built house that's really well air sealed the best way to go and you know how much savings is there by spending a little bit more time and making sure that your building envelope is really air sealed well so um, and that comes back to how is your wall system constructed do we have a continuous la layer of exterior insulation, which is soon going to be code, um, or not necessarily exterior, but a continuous layer of insulation, which Passive House has been doing this and modeling this since they started their German standard, which is let's cut down on all of the thermal bridging in the structure. Um, double stud walls end up with that thermal bridge gap in the middle of the wall. Um, continuous exterior insulation puts it on the exterior. Continuous interior insulation puts it on the interior. Um, but I think the point that I want to make this week and climate zone six and how we're doing this is you have to think about where the moisture is in your wall system and where it's going. Um, I would be really interested in talking to hot and dry uh, area to see, you know, is moisture vapor even a thing that they discuss in their buildings um, so much as places where we have ambient moisture, hot and humid, mixed and humid, cold and interior humidity. Um, so fascinating on how all of that goes. You've talked, uh, I've talked a little bit about um, plan sets and how um, you can go onto a website, you can get a plan set, um, but you can't build that just anywhere in the country. It may not work structurally, but um, what we're really starting to see is it may not work for the climate zone the way that it's designed. So I'd love to see more plans available, maybe in one landing place that direct people to their climate zone first and then the style of the house so that we can be building the best possible housing that we have. 
have. Um, it's also our mission to start increasing some of the density. Um, I love talking with Corinne of Tiny Homes of Maine and the potential for using tiny homes as ADUs uh, to increase density in cities. Um, I have had several people ask me recently about converting larger buildings or larger lots into multi-unit and I think that that is um, something that we should be considering, increasing the density in areas where we have the ability to increase density and providing really quality housing. Uh, maybe not everybody wants to live in a house in a neighborhood. And then when we are building more neighborhoods, more houses, um, that we're just doing it better, we're doing it right, we're doing it to the maximum that we can afford to do, whether it's a personal homeowner who is building a better house and they reach economic feasibility or till we get to a point where the market says this is what this area can financially afford and we build the best that we can using different methods. Um, let's flip the script on square footage. It's not about square footage. In fact, um, if you listened to last week's podcast, you heard us talk a little bit about how smaller square footage usually is higher dollars per square foot. But then maybe we don't need 4,000 square foot McMansions or um, current real estate says 2,500 square feet. Um, I don't know if we need that. And there are a lot of people who are asking to not have that. And so let's start providing that for the market. Let's make little pocket neighborhoods that are multi-generational that are as efficient as they can possibly be within what is financially affordable for the people that want to live in those locations. And in climate zone six, where I am, um, building a double stud wall seems to be the most cost effective way to do that thus far from our experience. Um, although there are lots of different ways to do it and we're very excited. So pick up, um, your copy of, um, there will be articles on uh, green and healthy homes this next issue, I believe, um, that are going to talk more about the plant that they're building with, for exterior wood fiber insulation, blown wood fiber insulation, and wood fiber bats. Um, so that's really exciting. We're starting to um, start looking at what materials do we have? Are they vapor open? How do we put them together? How do we use them? Will that be a better continuous insulation? Will that be cheaper and more cost effective because it'll be locally made? Um, so lots of exciting stuff as that comes on board. Um, and if you haven't seen it, the latest issue of Decor Maine is talking about a project that I do um, with my collaborative group of females, which is Patrice Capaletti with Live Solar Maine and Carrie Lewis with Carrie Lewis Landscape Architecture. And what we're doing in our community to build net zero homes and just more efficient, more affordable homes and where we're going next. So pick up Decor Maine's magazine. So we always love green and healthy homes and Decor Maine and what they're doing for our community. So a little plug for them. Um, join our mailing list if you haven't done that already. I usually put links to um, upcoming events that I've seen that have come across my desk. If you have an upcoming event that you'd like me to add to that, I am certainly happy to do so. Um, it shares articles that I've read that I found are interesting. It shares uh, upcoming events. It shares a plan set um, and coordination. I love to collaborate. And I think that in the month of March, you're going to hear a lot more about team and integrated design. And I think that we should be sharing all of our knowledge so that we can push forward and make our 10-year goal of reducing 
carbon emissions and greenhouse gas emissions and do that in spite of what our government wants to do and do it just because we think or know that it's the right thing to do. So thanks for tuning in for climate. We talked a little bit about zone six, which I didn't want to spend too much time on because zone six is where I'm located. So a lot of our podcasts are really detailed into what we do here in zone six, but to open it up as the invitation to hopefully bring in some people who are not in climate zone six who can talk about how they design or build in their climate zone. So until next time, have a wonderful week.